reading from the ninth chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, beginning with verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, He took Peter, John, and James with Him and went up on a mountain to pray. As He was praying, the appearance of His face changed, and His clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about His departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my Son, whom I have chosen. Listen to Him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. The next day when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my own child. A spirit seizes him. And he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I'm going to tell you a story about a church getting struck by lightning. It's one of my fears. My other fear is a real Christmas tree, which y'all have. (laughs) Makes me nervous, man. (laughs) I had a church get struck by lightning once. It didn't actually get directly hit. There was lightning about a mile away that fried the circuits in the organ. Hard to believe, isn't it? But it happened. Well, there was a church that got struck by lightning. Damage was pretty extensive. The insurance company refused to pay out for the damages, saying that there was a specific disclaimer clause that lightning was an act of God, and so they weren't responsible. Is that right, John? 
we just ruined my story. <laughs> All right. So this church had a horrible insurance agent <laughs> that sold them insurance. Listen, I gotta keep. I gotta keep going. I got twenty minutes, man. Oh, God. Yep. Trying to figure out how to rebound. (laughs) So a church was hit by lightning. And they didn't have insurance. Because they figured it would never happen to them. (laughs) And the pastor started visiting the flock. And telling them, look, you know, we have pretty extensive damage If we want to worship inside, we're going to have to get it fixed. We don't have insurance. So we're going to need for everybody to chip in. And they were making really good progress. They were about halfway to the fund that they needed to fix the church. And the pastor was saving a few key givers for the last pitch. So that he could go to those people and say specifically how much they needed. He came to the last one. He knew exactly how much money he needed. He walked into the man's office. He sat down with him. His wife looked at the pastor and said, isn't it horrible what's happened? And the pastor says it is. And he says, but I tell you, I know that y'all are generous. Every time we've ever needed something, y'all have helped us out. You've always come through. And the woman said, you know, we want to do that again. We want to do that again. And the man said, wait a minute, preacher. Wait a minute. Didn't God create lightning? And the pastor said, well, yes. And the man said, I'm sorry, pastor, but I can't give money to somebody that set their own house on fire. It was so much funnier till I asked John my question. <laughs> here's why I'm telling you that story, and here's why I want you thinking about it with humor in your lips, with that kind of thought on your mind. Because people, we are burning the world down. Humanity is setting our own world on fire all around us. The forces of sin and death, the powers of sin and death, and the things that they entice us with, the work of Satan in the midst of us is profound this morning. People are marching into another country and killing everyone who resists them for money, for energy money. In our own nation, we don't have enough sense to get out of our own way and make ourselves dependent from our enemies for our energy. Independent, I mean. We are setting ourselves on fire. Forgive me for being political for a moment, but that's just dirt stupid. But we do these same things in our own lives. 
I had a seminary professor who said something about sin one time that I've never forgotten. He said, sin is absurd. Absurd. I never thought about that. I think sin's clearly stupid, <laughs> right? But sometimes you might feel like sin makes some sense, like you want something bad enough that you do something that you know is wrong, or you cheat somebody so you can have it and you justify it, and you think, wow, it makes sense to me, so I'm going to do it, right? That happens in everything from putting a bill in a drawer to refusing to pay a neighbor back for a loan to all kinds of things that we do that end up setting relationships and ourselves on fire. And they're always driven by the self-same thing, pride and greed, envy. All the tools of the devil who would seek to destroy us goes about like a roaring lion looking to eat us alive, the Scripture says, to devour us. Our world is being devoured and we're shoveling into the devil's mouth hand over fist. And the church seems silent to me. Or maybe just unheard. This week, the bishops of our denomination issued a decree calling for peace in the Ukraine and nobody cared except a handful of pastors and the United Methodist News Service. There was a time, there was a time when the voice of the church had power because it mirrored the voice of Christ. There was a time when the voice of the church had power because the church was relevant to the world because it served the world. I wonder how we lost that. In a world of disquietude, have we forgotten the glory of Have we forgotten the power of Almighty God through Jesus Christ to transform the world and bring the kingdom into the midst of it? Do we doubt the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in all of us who are baptized and have faith? Do we doubt that the Spirit can give us words to speak that would change someone's life? Do we doubt that the Spirit might use us as a witness despite our timidity, or our shame? How have we forgotten the face of Christ? Moses was on a mountain to get the law, and he asked the Lord to see the Lord. And we're told that God put him in a cleft in the rock and passed by and allowed Moses to see his backside. And Moses was so changed by that glory of God that his face was radiant. And they were afraid to look at him because he was so different than they were. Because of his experience of being in the presence of God. Did you hear that, church? That's an A plus B equals C thing. A is Moses put him in the presence of God and the people are afraid to look at him because he's so different. He's radiating something that they don't comprehend. Don't read that like he has a bad sunburn. Something is transformed in his very person that causes them to fear the power of God. 
likewise. Jesus of Nazareth takes some fishermen up a mountain. And as he prayed, Moses and Elijah come to stand with him and speak with him. And a cloud, the Shekinah of God, the glory of God comes into their presence and surrounds them. And they see Him for who He is. They're given a glimpse of what it is to be in His presence. That they're not just in the presence of just another human being, but they're in the presence of the God-man, the One who has come to be Messiah, to deliver the people. The same One that Jesus had just said some of them would see. He said, some of you will live to see the coming of the kingdom. That's what it was that Luke is saying eight days after he said this. What he said to them were these words. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. These three on that mountain, saw Jesus transformed. They were able to see Him for who He is. That same Jesus that was in their midst is in our midst right now. This very moment, the risen Christ is with us. Those are not hollow words of greeting, dear ones. They're the truth and the affirmation of reality. The risen Christ is here with us in this very place, in this very moment. Come to conform us to His own image. To transform us and send us from this place to proclaim the kingdom that He is. Often, the sermons that I've heard on this pick up the wonderful dynamic that Jesus has gone up on the mountaintop and then He comes down into the valley where we are, right? And we're to find encouragement in that because we have mountaintop experiences in our lives too where God is close to us, we sense God's presence or maybe something wonderful is going on in our family but you know that the next day is coming. The valley is always coming, right? Always. But this, this Jesus revealed to be the divine presence of God in the world could have chosen to stay on that mountaintop But what Moses and Elijah were discussing with him was his exodus. His going to Jerusalem to die on the cross and to lead all of us out of slavery to fear and death. The same fear and death that are setting our world on fire. To deliver us from slavery to sin and death. To lead us across the waters of His crucifixion and resurrection. And to bring us to a new empowered life where we don't have to succumb to fear and live in cowardice and muddle in the hope and disunity and dystopia of this world. Jesus 
But to stand and say there's one who can dis, who can nix the disquietude and who brings quiet. And Luke would have us to remember that, that Jesus didn't stay on the mountain, but that he came down and threw a demon out of a boy and set him free. Jesus who meets us here today leaves with us to go out into the world that's burning and on fire. That is erupted into disquietude. And tell them about the one who can say peace be still and bring quiet to the world. Who can bring hope and new life. Who can relieve us of our anxieties and our fear and our warring madness. Who can take away our bent to sinning. Who can heal us of all our disordered loves so that we no longer long to have things over people. Or to invade a country so that we can move natural gas cheaper than we did before. God, help us. Twenty thousand years of humanity, and it feels today like we've learned nothing. But, dear ones, we're not just humanity, we are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. A people called by Him, claimed by Him, and being transformed by Him. Transformed by the One who that very day, Almighty God was visible in Him. Who went to a cross and died for us to show us how the kingdom comes. That it comes as we lay down ourselves for others and are raised in Him. You may feel powerless to deal with the brutality and the senselessness that goes on in this world, but you are not because you know the King of Kings. You know the Prince of Peace. You have within you, Jesus said, a witness to tell. You have within you the words given to you to speak when you are before those who would accuse you. You have the words of quiet and peace and hope and life. They are within your very heart. Because you, dear ones, are the people of Christ. It's okay to be afraid. Sometimes I feel fear about the things I see happening. I worry about the world my kid will have. Then I remember Jesus. You know the one who brings quiet. Who speaks peace into anxiety who walked upon the chaos of the universe when He walked upon the water, who told the winds and the waves to be quiet, who called Lazarus out of death, who raised a widow's son, who turned Peter from a coward 
into a preacher. Who turned a ragtag bunch of people into witnesses who changed the face of the earth. That's not some bygone idea. That, dear ones, is the kingdom of God at work. I wonder, as we sit under this word this moment, will you accept that you were empowered by Jesus Christ to do something? That the grace He affords you is for a purpose. To lead other people to the quiet place that is His healing presence. Let us pray. Eternal God, your servant wrote in the book of Hebrews that in the past you had spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days you had spoken to us by your Son. That he is the radiance of your glory, the exact representation of, his, of your being, and that He sustains all things by His powerful Word. So we pray that today, by the powerful Word of Jesus, that You will speak into us new life and courageous hearts and hopeful thoughts that we might go out to proclaim that Christ has died and is risen and that this world does not have to burn under the weight of our sin. Empower us, Father. And send us for the glory of Christ and the sake of your kingdom. Amen.